Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, we're off to Mars as Arnie tries to work out who he is, Quaid or Hauser, Hauser or Quaid, Hugh Gore, guns and giant alien reactors in 1990s Total Recall. Your mind... It is the center of your life. It is everything you hear. Everything you see. Everything you feel. It is everything you are. How would you know if someone stole your mind? While in the blue corner, crime, it sucks, right? Well, what if you could stop all crime before it even happened? If it sounds perfect, it's not, as Tom Cruise finds out firsthand in 2002's Minority Report. Okay, Jad, what's coming? Double homicide, one male, one female. Killer's male, white, 40s. Set up a perimeter and tell them we're on route. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks. Give the man his hand. The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. Did we get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. (laughs) You think this is the real Quaid? It is. 
I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Oh, how are you both? Vicky, looking very summery. Thanks. Really nice. A very pastel-y shirt. Yeah, it yeah. is. Chris, embodying autumn. <laughs> yeah, you were wearing a dark green jacket as well, so... Mm. I know. I didn't say there's anything wrong. Why is everything a criticism? Because it's the second time you've mentioned it. <laughs> because I'm really pro-autumn. I love the season. I love anyone who represents it in one man. <laughs> I think it's great. What's the news, Victoria? Uh, I thought I'd lost my favourite sock and then I found it. And it was just in a different drawer. Can you believe that? Imagine the I stress. I mean, I think the bigger question is, you have one favourite sock. <laughs> What's the other sock Sorry, in the pair? Sorry, no, I thought I'd lost one of my favourite socks. Right. One of the pair. What makes them the favourite? They're just really stylish. Okay. I mean, obviously we're listened to by a lot of people who are very into fashion and autumn. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about why they're so They stylish. go with everything, but they elevate an outfit at the same time. So they're oh. black and that's fine. They've got a, a sort of a medium rib and then three fake pearl buttons on the back. So you just get a little cheeky bit of decoration just poking out the back of your shoe. Says you've thought about You're it. You're not wearing them now, are you? No, I'm oh, not. That's a shame because we're filming this episode. It's too risky to take them out the house, I've realised, because it, it showed <laughs> me how dear they are to mm. me. So they're house socks, but they're house the best. House socks right? now, okay. yeah. Chris, any opinion on socks? Yeah, I wear them. Excellent news. And so ends the small talk section. So this week, Total Recall versus Minority Report. Victoria's choices. How come? Um, well, I was clue-led um, this week. And when I came up with short dick energy, I was so pleased with myself that I tried to um, make everything fit around that. That's not true. Uh, you told me to. I but also... <laughs> no, I didn't tell you to. Chris told me to. Lots of reasons. Chris told me to. They are two films that have stayed with me over the years. Mm. And I think it was suggested in our listener suggestions and we're doing a special season, which Chris will tell you about, if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, that's great. Yeah. Chris, do you want to talk about the special season later or now? Can talk about it now. We're doing Spielberg. We're doing Spielberg. We're doing Spielberg paired with a non-Spielberg this week and next week. And then we're doing four Indiana Jones movies over two weeks. <sighs> yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. I'm fucking thrilled, man. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be great. All four indie movies. But back to today. So, remind us once again of the wonderful clue you gave on last week's episode. Short Dick Energy. Short Dick Energy. One of my favourite clues. Thank Chris, you. you followed it up on Twitter with... Uh, both these films are kindred spirit. Okay, so, um, can we talk about that clue? Sure. So, is there another level to that clue? Like, because obviously... It's a clue. So people look into our clues on Twitter. Mm. We are at ClashPod on Twitter, also on Instagram, at ClashPod. Mm. So what's the spirit element? The, well, it's a phrase, kindred spirit. Right, and that's when, all it is. When two things are similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, um, do, you not know the, do you not know why I've done the clue? I know, even I Vicky, know. Tell I him. know why the clue <laughs> is the clue, but I think it doesn't work as a clue for Twitter because spirits makes people think of ghosts. It feels like it works on more than one level because it's existing in the, the stratosphere of oh, a clue. Oh, yeah, you can't take the clue on its own. No. They, have, they come as a pair because right. the idea is to listen to the podcast. Yeah. Well, let's get on to some of these guesses. From... Well, Kindred, by the way, in case you don't know, because a lot of people didn't, I didn't know until this week, uh, that uh, the name Philip K. Dick, the K stands for Kindred. I didn't know that. I didn't know that That's either. amazing. Right. So now the clue is perfect. Now the clue actually works. <laughs> Turns out a lot of people... Uh... That's why it had a capital K. Right. <sighs> wow. It's a name. Well, don't tell me. Tell Paul Logue, who went with Beetlejuice versus the Frighteners. Because of spirits. Gary Bailey, Ghostbusters versus Evolution. Because of spirits. Also, he goes for the Frighteners versus 13 Ghosts. You know what they have in common? Spirits. You see, people really focused mm. on the spirits if, this week. If, I, if it had been a little K, I would have been fine, but it was a big K. Mm. Got to look into that. 
Peter Mahoney, Beetlejuice versus Casper, Sam Turner, Ghost versus The Sixth Sense, a lot of spirit guessers. Mm. Uh, then uh, Camillo goes with Twins versus Junior. It took me a while, but I'm thinking because Danny DeVito is short dick energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all I can take from that. Short Danny energy, surely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matt gets pretty close. He's worked out the Philip K. Dick clue. Minority Report versus the Adjustment Bureau. Not quite there. Our winner this week. Congratulations. It's a week where we only have one right answer. Oh, almost like the clues were perfect, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Stirrup, congratulations. He wasn't stumped by kindred spirits. He was slightly. He went, I was convinced it was always short dick Dreyfus spirit. Mm-hmm. but couldn't pair it. So he went with Total Recall versus Minority Report. I, I also like the fact he then got cocky because when I thanked everyone for their guesses and said when the, the films would be revealed, he replied with a Total Recall gif. Right. He's that confident <laughs> that he's got it right. Well, his confidence was not misplaced. Congratulations, Peter. Your prize is a memory implant of two weeks with the three of us. Don't worry, we cover all bases. One of us is athletic, one is demure, and the other is sleazy. <laughs> I'll let you work out which. <laughs> Connections then. What do you got? Well, I've, I've just got the big one, which is really obvious. But, um, so Minority Report started life as a sequel to Total Recall. So they are linked in that way. Yeah. yeah. Look, tech, self-driving cars and holograms mm-hmm. are in both movies. Yep. Play quite big roles. Uh, 15% of the profits, both Spielberg and Cruz picked 15% of the profits rather than a fee to keep the budget down for Minority Report. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger took 15% percent of the profits and a 10 million dollar fee because he's arnie uh usa today features in both minority report as a digital paper and you get mars today and total recall mm. and on that on that on that sort of uh route uh advertising exposition we learn a lot of plot from television adverts in both these movies in quite a lazy way yeah yeah uh short short dick energy both movies just use the first act as the portion of Philip K. Dick's novel, short stories that he's written and then go off in their own way. Um, Our heroes have strange head trauma uh, in, in both movies. Uh, Arnie obviously has to stick something up his nose into his brain. Take something out of his brain. Yeah, to get it out. And then, uh, and then yeah, Tom has his eyes removed. True, true. Mm. That's the true, true. Um, uh, the ending might not be what we think it is in both films. Mm. Mm. Uh, my last one. <laughs> What's what? that look? Is it not? Tell me later. Okay, we'll, 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 get, we'll, we'll get, get to it. Yeah, we'll yeah, get to it. I hope so. We will. I Great. can promise you. That's Good. a promise. <laughs> my last one is Clairvoyance, which is the reason that the um, Minority Report was nearly the sequel to Total Recall. Yeah, uh, they both had very short-lived TV series, Minority Report and Total Recall 2070. And finally, Colin Farrell. Yes. Oh, that good was one. My other one. Yes. Good one. Mm. Didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Minority Report and uh, featuring in the only mention I'm hoping on this podcast of the 2012 Total Recall reboots. Right. Let's get into it. On Thursday, Chris tries to remember everything about Minority Report, which means today I'm saying, Cohagen, give these people air in Total Recall. Let me take you on a journey. Arnie is Doug Quaid, a construction worker on Earth. Except he's not. He's married to his gorgeous wife, Sharon Stone. Except he's not. And she's not. After visiting Recall to go on a virtual sex holiday, things go to shit. His friends want to kill him. His wife wants to kill him. And Michael Ironside 
really wants to kill him. So he hotfoots it to Mars on the advice of himself, Hauser, who's not really him, but he is, sort of. Anyway, after a lot of running around Mars, being chased by Michael Ironside, who by now has never wanted to kill anything more, Quaid wisecracks his way to an alien reactor and turns it on, saving everyone, except Cohagen, whose head turns inside out. The end. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Total Recall. So, my history with this movie, to kick us off, I've seen it probably seven or eight times, closing in on ten times now. Uh, the first time is obviously the most powerful. Watched it exactly the right time. Not at the cinema, but at home on VHS. Must have been about 11 years old. It's 991, yeah, about 11 years old. And for a brief period, I think I thought this was the greatest movie I had ever seen in the history of cinema. This was a massive film for me and my friends at school. I have a very distinct memory of my friend Phil Stark, who saw it before us, running round using his flask as a gun from his packed lunch, oh, running round him. going, I want my brain back. <laughs> and it broke my heart when I finally watched it. And mm. that fucking line isn't in the fucking movie. <laughs> I was like... Dude, you can't. There's so many great quotes. Why make one up? And yet, I so always, I always watch it thinking, I, maybe it is. Maybe I've just missed it. I bond my brain back, <laughs> which would work in the film. Be a good title for a movie. It would be a great title for a movie. <laughs> so yeah, um, I've watched it so many times since then. It never fails to put a smile on my face. V. I've seen it once or twice before, but I watched it when I was a bit older. So. I didn't remember a lot of the plot. What I remember is really silly key moments. Actually, they're not key moments. That's wrong. I'm just going to say nail varnish. Mm. So for some, <laughs> the only thing I could truly remember until I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, that bit, that bit, is the woman, the receptionist at the clinic, just doing the instant change of nail varnish. And the people that I watched that film with were like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, that is really brilliant. How yeah. does that not exist? I was exactly. watching it this time going... I mean, surely there is some kind of material that uh, immediate, like a digital false nail you can put on that you can then touch with a pen and just immediately does that. Yeah, there isn't. It's such a shame. Maybe that's because that is, if we had that right now, we wouldn't celebrate that moment as much. But that is about the only bit of future tech in Total Recall, yeah. apart from travelling to Mars, that doesn't exist now. Mm -hmm. Chris? I remember reading about this at Empire at the start of 1990 and being a bit scared of it as everything they were talking about seemed to be suggesting this was going to be the most violent film of all time. Um, and it was an 18, so I couldn't see it in the cinema. But I did buy and read the novelisation. And then by the time it was out on video... Oh, you see. I mentioned a novelisation yeah. last week, and it's like, oh, can we not talk novelizations? We're talking about the film, only film canon on this podcast. Yep, and I will be doing that. Uh, by the time it came out on video, Terminator 2 was in the cinema, though, and that was 15, and I could get into that. Mm. And so I think that's the summer I started watching 18s. I thought I was ready. You're ready for this, Chris. <laughs> You're 13. Why did it, guy. I'm so confused. Why did it scare you finding out that it was going to be violent? I didn't. I hadn't watched any violent films up to that point, really. I'd seen. I think. I'd seen Commando, but I'd closed my eyes for some of it because my cousin told me I had to. Right. If I was allowed to watch it, <laughs> right. as dis as previously discussed. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't watched many 18s when I was 12. Okay, I was a bit of a wimp. See, I, I think that was the right way of going about it because uh, we'll, we'll talk about it because it's for Hoven. No, but seriously, I like my mum let me watch. I, I go on about my mum letting me let me watch Jaws when I was too young. But besides that, because that's actually a PG and that's just a bit scary. And I've never been in the sea since, although we proved back uh, on another pod that I have. So You're that was a lie. Yeah. yeah, I'm alive. We proved I'm alive. Uh, however, Robocop. I saw when I was about mm. 13 years old. Yeah. And that fucked me up more than <laughs> any other film. It's horrifying. <laughs> Just as a kid, Murphy's Death, Ed 209, 
and more than anything, Toxic Waste Man. That stayed with me. Right, do you want to know a little bit about the production of this movie? Yes, please. Okay, uh, this is where I, I just sort of want to, I want to preempt anything you say, Chris, because there's a lot of information here, and I know you think sometimes, you know, I go too deep. I just want us to be honest with each other. No, I know. Look, I normally try and come. It's, I feel like it's good to have like three pages on each film. Of oh my, is that how much you do? Mm. I do three pages total always, and if it goes over, <laughs> I take stuff out. I've done 19 pages today. Why? Uh, I don't <laughs> feel got, bad. I've got 8,500 words. Oh I don't know God. what I'm going to do. Woo. Okay, great. <laughs> great. So let's, I mean, we may... It, well, we're either going to be doing a slightly longer pod today or we're just not going to be talking about the movie very much and just talk about the history of the movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, the You read story. the short story, though, didn't you? No, I did not. It's, it's, it's only 19 pages. Is, is it really? It? Oh, oh, sorry, if, I really meant to. If I'd known I that, I would have. I can do 19 pages. I know. So, uh, the story with the movie... Total Recall begins back in the 1970s with writers Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chassette, uh, even before they worked on Alien together. So Chassette bought the rights to Philip K. Dick's We Can Remember It For You wholesale short story. Now, Dan O'Bannon said in 2007 that the movie rights to Philip Dick's stories were ridiculously cheap back then. Uh, Ronald Suchet picked it up for about $2,000. But then after Blade Runner, all of a sudden, the Dick estate just ran his price up through the ceiling. So they've got this, or at least Chassette has this, and they have differing ideas of what to do with turning it into a feature script. So Dan O'Bannon starts writing, and he writes up the first act on Earth, and he's like, it seemed obvious to me that this guy has to go to Mars now. The whole thing is his obsession with being James Bond on Mars. And I said to Ronnie, I said, the rest of the movie should be a cross between Casablanca and a James Bond movie. Chassette says, I don't agree at all. I think it should be a Western on Mars. To which O'Bannon says, I said, that was a terrible idea and I wasn't going to write it. So begins a real to and fro between Chassette and O'Bannon, where Chassette keeps getting other writers in to fulfil his vision. And according to O'Bannon, no one likes this vision. So he then keeps going back to O'Bannon and going, what are your ideas? So O'Bannon sort of plays along. He writes a second act and he says, I got into Mars and I continued with that lighthearted tone. Imagine the best of the Bond movies, Goldfinger or something. I continued it in that tone. And eventually O'Bannon writes an act three. But that eventually wasn't the act three we see in this film. O'Bannon says of that, he finally got the picture financed and the others now involved completely rewrote the third act into what I consider incoherence. So the first two acts are more or less Phil Dick and me and the last act is Ronnie Chusette. As I watch the movie, everything it's been building it to in the last 20 minutes or more just crumbles into chaos. So I read that and I watched it after I'd read that and for the first time I sort of looked at that third act and how it holds up to the rest of the film. Do you think... Total Recall starts to fall apart in the third act. Where would you say the third act starts? So I think it's difficult because uh, when we get into Gary in the Goldman, mines, maybe I think it's it's roughly around the time that he has found out that Hauser did the dirty. On okay, him. yeah, and then you've got this the sort of the race to yeah. the the thing. No, I don't think it falls apart. To be honest, no, I don't either, Chris. No, I think it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it works fine. Yeah, it's weird because there's some contradiction here. So basically, from everything you re- I read in this 2007 interview, it sounds like a banner is basically writing James Bond 
on Mars, which doesn't sound a million miles away from what Ronnie Chassette wanted, which was, uh, in his words, Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars. I can see a through line between the two. But then you get like these stories about what O'Bannon's original third act was. And I couldn't find any corroboration on this. And if Chris couldn't, then I'm in the clear. But we'll find out. Because there are stories about his final act being that Arnie's character, or Doug Quaid, or Doug Quayle, I think, as he was back then, he is transformed into a godlike synthetic being housing the entirety of the Martian race. Mm-hmm. Which is no ending to any Bond movie I know, where <laughs> Bond envelops Spectre I, as I, a sentient being. A lot of that material comes from Cronenberg, though, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of, you know, he he um, he introduced the concept of the mutants. Um, he he allotted a lot more screen time to Coato. I mean, stuff you'd expect from David Cronenberg. Mm. And he had an elaborate dream sequence where he Coato morphed into the Sphinx and then into a kind of phosphorescent vagina. Right. Um, yeah, because Cronenberg created Quarto from scratch. He wasn't mm. in it at all. No, the, until the, then. the whole mutant angle came mm. from Cronenberg. Which doesn't surprise you no. when you're like, uh, the master of body horror is going to stick some mutants in there. Um, the one thing that doesn't surprise me, because Chassette is like, I I want this to be, uh, you know, a fun Raiders of the Lost Art romp. How you end up taking it to Gronenberg and then how you end up slightly surprised when he rips all the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> humour out and makes it a really cerebral paranoia tale, which is what he wanted to do. He wanted William Hurt as Douglas Quaid, a psychologically wrecked man struggling to piece his memories together. And apparently it was way more faithful to Philip K. Dick's story. Uh, but Chassette uh, said to him, you know what you've done? You've done the Philip K. Dick version. And Cronenberg said, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> and Chassette went, no, I want Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars, which feels like something you should say up front. <laughs> oh, but Cronenberg's never going to do that, is he? No. Uh, the one thing, we got Quarto from Cronenberg, but uh, Quarto from Cronenberg. <laughs> but the one thing that we didn't ever see, which when I read about it, it breaks my heart. Did you read about the Gansables? No. So this was an idea from Chassette uh, that Cronenberg ran with. Chassette created basically camels on Mars outfitted with oxygen masks. Brilliant. Sounds great. Cronenberg then turned them into sewer-dwelling mutant camels that fed on the dead bodies that were deposited down there. Right. They didn't make it into the final cut. More is the pity. Mutant camels, mutant sewer-dwelling camels. How the fuck do you not include that in a movie? <laughs> that you look at your budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Cronenberg departs um, and then we're into a, a period where Richard Dreyfus is considered for the lead for a while. And there's another version that almost happens that has Patrick Swayze in the lead with the director of Driving Miss Daisy, Bruce Beresford, behind the camera. And this is when Dino De Laurentiis has it because Chassette takes it to Disney because they first look after um, the Alien script and then... They say no. So Dino De Laurentiis gets it. And this is also the period where Arnie is in the background. Now, Arnie finds out about Total Recall around the time of Raw Deal and is like, I want to do this. And he's friends with Dino De Laurentiis. And he's like, can I do it? Dino De Laurentiis says, and this is a quote from Arnie just last year. Schwarzenegger, I like you being Conan. I don't like you being Total Recall. I have Jeff Bridges. (laughs) So... (laughs) Why are you doing as the Sasha Baron Cohen character Bruno? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just trying out a few accents as we warm up to getting to Mars, because that's when I'm going to hit my stride on this episode. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so um, then Dino De Laurentiis' company goes bust. Arnie, straight on the phone to the Corolco guys, uh, Mario Casar and Andy Vanya, uh, who he'd done Red Heat with. He's like, buy the rights, which they do for three million. Then, as I said, Arnie gets a 10 million fee plus 15% of the profits because he's freaking Arnie. And by now, after Twins, he is officially a big deal, which was the previous year. Yeah, it's amazing because he'd just done Red Heat for Carol Co. Mm. I don't know if either of you have seen Red Heat. Mm. It was not a hit. No. Um, and so it's amazing he managed to negotiate that deal off the back of Twins. <laughs> Listen to it. He gets to pick his co-stars. These are all the things that were in the contract. He gets to pick his co-stars, gets final say on the script, final say on any promotion, and most importantly... He gets to pick the director. Hugh, a chance meeting in a fancy Hollywood Italian restaurant where, completely by chance, Arnie sees Verhoeven having some food, goes over to the table. Robocop's just come out and he wants to tell him how much he loved that movie. And they get on like a house on fire. They decide there and then that they want to work together. And as Arnie leaves, he suddenly realises Verhoeven would be perfect for Total Recall, the whole dystopian future element. Uh, or as Arnie puts it, I drive home from lunch and I say to myself, I'm such a fucking idiot. I should have gone right away to Total Recall. Anyway, it's not a problem because Verhoeven does. The Arnie accent will get better. Again, this is warm up for later in the show. Uh, uh, Verhoeven says, yep, I'll do it. And interestingly, Verhoeven says that Arnie was in the running for Robocop. They never auditioned him, but both him and his co-star in Total Recall, Michael Ironside, were looked at for... Robocop, but they were both too big, too bulky. They wanted someone more svelte who didn't uh, look ridiculous in the armour. So Verhoeven steps on board. At this point, there are about 40 drafts of this script, which he starts going through, but he says there is a problem, which is the climax is one long 40-minute chase that abandoned the mental theme of earlier in the movie. Step forward, Gary Goldman. So Gary Goldman, I ended up listening to a long interview with Gary Goldman. He'd, he'd written Navy Seals at this point, and or he was writing Navy Seals. I can't remember the chronology. Anyway, he ends up working with Verhoeven. Now, a lot of people say that uh, Arnie brought Gary Goldman on board, but it's actually Verhoeven. And it happens because Gary Goldman is working. Gary Goldman we've talked about on the big Trouble in Little China episode. He wrote the original script for that. And he's working on a new movie with Verhoeven called Warrior. Uh, and... He gets a call, does Gary Goldman, from Bruce Beresford uh, to come and work on Total Recall, which he was doing with Patrick Swayze in Australia. And Goldman says, I can't, I'm not doing that. I'm working with Verhoeven on this script for Warrior. And then Verhoeven gets a call from Arnie uh, going, will you do Total Recall? And Verhoeven turns to Goldman and goes, yeah, I'm leaving you, Warrior film. I'm going to go to Total Recall. But then brings him on as this script doctor to help get the final act into shape. Uh, he said, Gary Goldman, that the ideas, the good ideas seem to have run out of the Dr. Edgemar scene and I wanted to keep the surprises coming. And he had to make a lot of changes to the dialogue for Arnie because the original script was meant for someone the polar opposite of Arnie, a real weak character. And so he was an accountant. They had to turn him into a construction worker. But I'm, I'm going to leave all the Gary Goldman stuff for Thursday because I think you're going to tell us about yeah, Gary Goldman. Yeah, I am. I am. But it is interesting that... Um the, the Schwarzenegger, he had a real vision for it. As you say, Like he, this was a bank clerk in the story and in the early scripts. And so that's why Richard Dreyfus makes sense and, mm. and William Hurt makes sense. But 
And it makes more sense that he'd be more, more believable as a spy because he doesn't stand out at Richard Dreyfus or William Hurt. Whereas Arnold Schwarzenegger, that guy's a spy. Mm. <clears throat> doesn't work in true lies either, I don't think. Him undercover is just ridiculous. But Arnie's vision was he wanted to make someone strong and tough become vulnerable, completely yep. break them down. And it is a really, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting approach to the material. It's an interesting approach. And as we go through it, we'll prove uh, again and again why it doesn't work for exactly the reasons you've just said. But I mean, Arnie really wanted to do this. And there is no doubt when you read all the interviews around this, this project would not have happened and it would not have got the budget mm. and it would not have been as great as it was if it hadn't been for Arnie taking the reins and making sure Verhoeven got to do what he wanted to do. Mm. He kept... Shusette on board, which Shusette was really grateful for. He was like, he was on set every day. Gary Goldman was on set every day to make any changes that needed making. And then he handled all the promotion. He had the trailer recut because he said the first trailer made it look like a $20 million movie. So he was yeah. like the Arnie that we knew about in the 90s, which was this machine. And he had a vision. He had a vision for the character, but he also had a vision for his career. And this, mm. this was a turning point. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so uh, that aside, um, that's about it. The only other person that I really have to mention because he makes this movie for me is our old friend Rob Bottin, uh, the special effects genius who did 99% of the creature effects uh, in The Thing, our Thing episode. Well worth a listen. Terrible result that week, or at least a terrible vote from Chris. I can't remember which. The Thing won. Good. A great result that week. A great result. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Rob Bottin uh, is brilliant. Genius. Fantastic, because the stuff with the three-breasted sex worker, which I, I can't wait to talk about. That's the first thing you I said. I can't believe it. For fuck's sake. so much other There's stuff so going much to on. Choose from. There's just, it opens with someone's just eyes a... popping out of their bed. The fucking three titty women. Just as a for instance. Yeah, just as an example. Yeah. I was 11 years old when I first saw this. You should have been scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He got a special achievement Oscar, so well done him for his work on this film. That is about it. It goes on to become a massive hit, 260 million on a not cheap $50 million budget. There's some discrepancies. Some people say this was one of the most expensive films ever made at the time. Some people say it wasn't. Either way. Big hit. Fifth highest grossing movie of 1990. Any guesses what was number one? Oh. 1990. 1990. Look who's talking. No. It was Ghost. It was Ghost. Followed by Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman was in three. There was a little movie. Turtles 2? No. No, it's one of the action ones. No, it's a John Hughes one. Oh, Home Alone. Home Alone, yeah. And then our old friend Dances with Wolves was at number four. But Total Recall was at number fifth. Fifth. Number fifth. Number, number fifth. Uh, and its legacy is that for the next 10 years, Arnie was pretty much the biggest movie star on the planet, a blockbuster icon. So that was thanks to Total Recall. Shall we talk about a movie? Mm. So uh, we open with uh, Jerry Goldsmith's great score. Uh, mm. One of his, uh, It's one of his favourite scores. I really like it. And I like it because I'm like, hey, this sounds like Alien. Oh, I was going to say it's the Conan score. Oh, yeah. So he's stuck together a couple of scores, I guess. <laughs> there's a bit where you see the miniature of Mars and there's a real alien vibe to it. But I like it as a score. It's, yeah. it's very drum heavy, which I seem to remember all Arnie's scores being Terminator, Predator, this, are all like, dun, 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 like Arnie's coming. I know we had a nine Clash Pod man last week, but Jerry Goldsmith, that puts him up to eight. Ooh. Um, Aliens, Gremlin, Alien, Gremlins, Inner Space, Gremlins 2, Basic Instinct, Congo, LA Confidential, and Total Recall. Congratulations to Jerry. 
Well then, Jerry. Rest in peace. So Arnie's having a dream. He's on a cliff on Mars with a girl and he falls down the cliff, idiot, smashes his visor and gives off one of the best things about this movie, some amazing Arnie grunts. Love it. Um, I love this opening because at 11 years old, I remember finding it really shocking. Mm. As an opening... And the fact that it sets up the dangers of the atmosphere of Mars right from the off, and also you see Mars and you're like, when are we going there? Brilliant way to start it. Mm, those miniatures that they used to create mm. Mars were huge, and they look so impressive. They they look, I think they look great today. They're amazing. You see the uh, the set guys standing amongst them, and they're vast, massive things. So he wakes up, and wham, he's awake. Wham, he's married to Sharon Stone. Wham, I'm 11 years old, and I'm in love for the first time. <laughs> I, I I don't know about you guys, but I had a massive crush on Sharon Stone in this movie. She's um, beautiful. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and also, she might kill you. Right? That's <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd be really interested to talk about it because it is important. Like, you don't have to pretend. Like, is, so um, that's a good... I mean, I get it. I do horny. get it. It's because she's all things in one. She's, <laughs> she's an adoring wife. She's a highly trained killer. And she's loving kinky. <laughs> you can tie me up. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> I, listened, I listened to the commentary from 2000. 2001 that is Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger which is quite enjoyable mm. um, but this scene it's a bit it's a bit off uh, Verhoeven explains that Sharon Stone refused to take her clothes off what a bitch um, but Verhoeven then starts laughing and says I took revenge on basic instinct Jesus Paul <laughs> Paul yeah. you're not supposed to say that Jesus Christ oh, that's dark yeah um, wow Wow. Yeah, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know there was, I, it sort of works for me that she doesn't take her clothes off. I mean. Yeah, well, she didn't have to. At she? 11 years old, I'd have been a bit scared of that. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> she hasn't got two tits. So. <laughs> I think, I mean. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah. We've <laughs> all seen it. <laughs> just confirming. <laughs> so, um. We get this, uh, the flat that Arnie lives in. I remember being sort of like wowed by everything in this whole sequence. Like the video wall is super cool and the interactive news, which obviously done in Robocop and go on to do even more in Starship Troopers. But it was it was really cool, um, you know, and it was cut through with that Verhoeven jet black, black humour, that, that way that uh, the news reporter that sort of, disassociation from what you're seeing and what they're saying, like they're going, you know, uh, the Mars security force used minimal force to uh, kill the, uh, stop the rebels. And you're watching people gunning people down. Yeah, but it's, I mean, his films are very political and he does put it in in a fun way. You know, in the background, we've got him talking about colonialism and imperialism yeah. and, and these um, issues that are going to come up time and time again in this film. But you don't really know you're being sort of spoken to in that way because everything that's happening is so much fun. Well, yeah, especially with Starship Troopers where people were like, oh, what's Verhoeven doing? He's, he's <laughs> celebrating the military for the first time. He's like, no, 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 no. Look at the uniforms, <laughs> really guys. Rewind, 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 rewind. Look, just look at Neil Patrick Harris. Look at Neil Patrick Harris. There you go. Come on. Come on. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll continue with this after this short break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, uh, Arnie's off to work as a construction worker. Uh, we get to see some of the awesome future tech that uh, the best sci-fis do really well. Just little great world-building things that just aren't there for any real plot reason, are just there because why the hell not? Uh, so the favourite thing for me at this point was either the giant X-ray body scanner. Yeah, I love that. Isn't it cool? Yeah. It looks really good today. As it well. does look so, really good. Yeah. Doesn't and he's also good. slightly funny as well because everyone's skeleton is a bit like, <laughs> but it, but I mean it's literally his skeleton, is it? I mean not literally his skeleton, but yeah, they've used his. They, they, they it's the one digital effect in the movie, right? And that is they've used it. They they did the stuff all over his body so they could get his oh, skeleton. Okay. So it's not just a random animated man. Okay, and I like it because it's it happens for a split second here and it's setting it up for the payoff yep. later. Yes, and not even a payoff much much later, like a payoff in about twenty minutes time. You're yeah. like, it's great. Um, so, oh, and the TV's on the tube. I remember that being a massive deal to me when I watched this in 1991. I was Don't like, you think <gasps> it's interesting? Because when we talk about Minority Report, you know my obsession with early technology and people visualising future tech and how sometimes we get it really right, like Minority Report, and sometimes almost right, like Total Recall, I think. So TV's on the tube. The, you know, when you're thinking of that, you're like, okay, in the future we'll have TVs on the tube, but they don't make them small. And so they couldn't quite make that mental leap that we do have TVs on the tube effectively because we've all got TVs in our pocket. But to make them micro wasn't in their gift. I just find that fascinating that you can make that leap, but you can't quite go, oh yeah, and Wi-Fi. Well, what I'd say whatever. is sometimes they do have made that, that leap but then visually it's not going to work so they have to do it a different way for example in Minority Report when he's looking at the screens he's using the gloves yeah. the tech guys told him you won't need gloves to do that Yeah. but they just said no because the audience won't really believe it we're going to give him these gloves because visually it's going to look better yeah. and it's going to be more believable for the audience right now right. and same with there maybe that you just need a big TV screen yeah. on that so that people can so the audience can see it yeah that's I, I see that Mm. Uh, more uh, setting up right now uh, we meet Dr Edgemar for the first time for the memory of a lifetime recall 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 so he's going to be coming back uh, Arnie uh, works on a construction site doesn't matter what he does there because he's Arnie and his muscles are out and he's holding a massive fucking drill he's just breaking shit 
He is yeah, breaking I read reviews stuff up. saying, oh, it's not believable Arnie is a construction worker. That's one of the few jobs where he is believable, holding <laughs> a drill. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't honestly know. I think Arnie even knows what he's doing in that scene. He's just like, <laughs> give me a drill and a sleeveless top and make everyone else wear lumberjack shirts. Otherwise, it won't be believable. <laughs> everyone else in there is like wearing a massive shirt to cover their arms because it would just be like, people, you, you need to look sort of like you can work here alongside Arnie as opposed to be children. But his mate, Harry, in that scene, you know, in that, that clever bit where you're not sure what, whether Harry's on his side or not, that's, <laughs> that's what the character looks like in the short story. That's what the, our, our protagonist should have been, is that schlub. Um, yeah. I mean, could, you could have been Danny DeVito, could have got the other yeah. twin. Well, yeah, but it's, it's Robert Constanza, who, uh, Constanza, who we all remember as the dickhead cop in Die Hard 2. That's all I ever, whenever I see him, I'm like, the dickhead cop in Die Hard 2. <laughs> But yeah, he's, uh, I mean, you say you're not really sure if he's on his side or not. And you're like, I'm pretty sure he's a bad guy from the massive look he gives him after he goes back to work. There's nothing subtle about that. I give you that look sometimes on this podcast that <laughs> I'm still your friend. That is horribly close to the truth. <laughs> Only when you get the stuff wrong. Uh, Doug uh, is told, don't go to recall. Again, we're setting so much stuff up here. And Harry's like, they messed up my friend's brain. They're bad people. Do not go there. Doug ain't listening. He's off to real recall. Uh, cool nail polish pen. I've written absolutely right. Uh, and then Bob McLean turns up, who is pure salesman, and he's like, "Question." So when Arnie goes, "I'm not interested in Saturn. I want to go to Mars." There's a bit where he's sort of like, "Oh, mm, Mars, Mars," and it's really shifty. It's like he knows something, yeah, but there is nothing he can know at that point unless. He, unless there is something that we haven't really been informed of, which is that you get like the the schizoid embolism because of the Mars program, which is a bit of a stretch. There is no reason for him to be a little bit shifty about why he can't send Arnie to Mars. Yes. I haven't worked that out, that one. Bit of a weird one. But anyway, uh, he goes, yeah, okay, I'll send you to Mars. Um, Quaid picks the secret agent package. And so now he's in recall and he has to design his love interest for his virtual <laughs> sex holiday. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> well, all of it. All yeah. of it. Yeah. Big, small, all of it. No, brunette, athletic, sleazy and demure. I do like the fact that the woman doctor... I don't know her name. And she says, be honest. Mm. And I just think that's a good line because yep. if you're Arnie, you might not want to be that man. Like you might, I don't know. You might want, she might be like, oh, I've accidentally pressed sleazy. But he's like, no, no, fine. Which I liked. Yeah. But it's sort of, I think in a, in its own weird way, this is Verhoeven satirizing like femme, femme fatales or the action women uh, in movies of this time because like, you know, sleazy and demure is like, uh, you know, and athletic. It's like these are these sleazy and demure don't really go together. No. And yet that is kind of what like audiences required from female well, female actresses uh, to uh, to play these roles. These are the kind of roles that they were expected to play. It's kind of crazy. So we get a few little bits that uh, Gary Goldman dropped in here. So, for example, seeing Melina's face. Uh, Rachel Dakota and the actress on the screen. That was something he added in. Uh, also, very, very brief mention in the background of blue skies on Mars, where the technician is implanting the recall memory and he very quietly, you have to listen for it, he goes, he goes, oh, blue skies on Mars, that's new. That will come back later. I'll explain why then. So, 
more Arnie noises when he wakes up and he's having a schizoid. Em- and you can tell a lot of these sounds have been done in post. <laughs> I would like to see the ADR session where he's just standing there doing those noises. I think about that a lot. Just what it takes to be in that booth and somewhere. Okay, go. <laughs> Make sex noises. <laughs> So uh, Bob McLean uh, is not a fan of the female doctor. Use your head, you dumb bitch. He's just acting out the secret agent portion of his ego trip. She gets the final word. That's not possible because we haven't implanted it yet. Marnie has actually been to Mars or hasn't. This is the point where it all could be becoming a dream or this is really happening. Think on that because we're going to have to discuss it at some point and it's a big conversation. So uh, I have another question. They get scared because he's had his memory wiped of Mars, is what they say, and they realise that it must have been the agency. This is the only real mention of the agency in it as this sort of power. You know, they're not really like Cohagen isn't the agency, I don't think, or if he is, he's never announced as Cohagen as part of the agency. It's just another weird tidbit that I'm like, who are the agency? Okay. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Don't you think Cohagen's behind a lot of this stuff, though? Because they, like, there's an on Mars, there's an identical lab to this one where they yeah. do do Quaid up there. So it feels like he he has access to this technology. Yeah. Uh, so they dump him in a Johnny cab. <gasps> Fucking hell! I remember these. Mm. Oh my god, they're dreadful. Creepy as fuck. They're right? so so scary. Mm. What's the point? <laughs> a podcast favorite though, playing Johnny Cab. Yeah, Robert Picardo. Oh, really? Picardo, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's better. Of Inner Space fame. We, yeah. we were big fans of him in Inner Space. Yeah. And also Gremlins too. We, we oh, yeah. had him in that too. Yeah. yeah um, another thing that exists now, self-driving cars. Yeah. Um, along with, although we didn't mention it, it's a little one, but they have portrait framing on the video calls as opposed to just the square on all the uh, when Bob McLean appears on the video call from the office to the other yeah. it's, it's portrait anyway now we're into the part of the film where Quaid is being attacked by his friends um, Harry turns up and this goes back to what you were saying at the start Chris about where this falls apart a little bit because it's Arnie so this is the part where in the original story it's a guy who was a pencil pusher an accountant who has no skill, who you wouldn't believe could win in a fight, who suddenly has all these shit-hot moves, disarms mm. people and kills them, a bunch of guys who uh, <laughs> you know, are attacking him. And, th- and that's why this scene works better in Born Identity. Mm. Yes. Because Matt Damon looks like any bloke, pretty much every man. Yeah. Whereas this is, a, this is a superhuman isn't it? This is a superhero basically doing this. Yeah, and then but then it's there's a through line to Minority Report, and it's it's where an action star, you know, he's a he's an action movie star, and kind of wrecks the other side of the narrative coin, which would be the surprise, because in Minority Report, Tom Cruise can run fast, as he says a lot, but there's no reason why he's uh, more equipped to deal with all those like special forces and stuff like that. He just wins everything, but and why? 
because he's Tom Cruise. And so in this, why? Because he's massive and he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He like massacres five people. Yeah, I mean, Arnie, there's an interview from Starlog magazine that I found when he was on set and they're, they're interviewing him about this scene. And he goes, the first fight Quaid has is with his friends. He thought they were his friends. And he's shocked by reflex movements he didn't have to think about. Just boom, boom, and they're gone. Like, <laughs> no one watching this thinks that you're going like, to be, like, you do not look surprised yeah. because I don't think it's in your ability to look surprised at you kicking ass. You're <laughs> fucking Arnie. All right, now, now you're quoting Arnie saying funny things. Have you listened to, um, I listened to the full commentary uh, on the on the Blu-ray, but also a few years ago, someone put together a compilation of Arnie saying what's happened on, on happening on screen. So rather than commenting on it, He's just explaining to you what you've just seen. <laughs> it's, it's, I'll play you a, a couple of minutes, but it's mental. This is me, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is me on a screen here riding towards the camera. <laughs> it was a great scene because she's trying so hard for me not to see the news. You can see here with the eye, you know, no matter what I do, the kissing, the hugging with her, I'm more interested in what's going on on Mars. Just, just saying what's happening. <laughs> we can see it. Worker. And I'm totally amazed. And I'm, looking I'm, at watch, watch, I'm looking at the me? gun. Yeah, so this is really this. The, the, exactly. How this. did I do that? Here's the great fight scene with uh, Sharon and me. Ow, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I continuously used him as a human shield. Now I threw him down the escalator. And now he, he just got the message that he should actually put a wet towel around this head. Yeah, also, like, we just rain. heard it. So <laughs> they cannot detect of where. I am. I run around like an Indian. That's a funny scene. She's trying to steal the suitcase. <laughs> this scene is unbelievable because my frustration about this taxi cab does not understand where I want to go. And then I got away. All right. I said, you can have a bit more of that a bit later if you like because it's, there's four minutes of gold from Arnie there. God, that is so exhausting. I oh understand how commentaries that. work. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a joke. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's like, yeah, I'll do the commentary. <laughs> I just, yeah, there's a bit that I listen to. I will get to it. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Because uh, he's back now. Sharon Stone's learning tennis, looking hot. <laughs> I love that outfit. Uh, but the cat's out of the bag now. And so she decides to, to, to kick Quaid's ass while revealing extremely useful information about their relationship has only been on for six weeks. She's not really his wife, but she will have sex with him for old time's sake. And she'll even let him talk. <laughs> Higher up, uh, but it's all a delaying tactic because Richter is here and his goons. And I know we use goons as a sort of general statement uh, about bunches of henchmen. These guys are the definitive goons. Like they just look like goons. They act like goons. They die like goons. Yeah, these are proper goons. <laughs> goons we only squad. even we only even learn one of their names, which is Helm, uh, his right hand man. Uh, everyone else is just cannon fodder. And also, Helm's sort of memorable looking, whereas the others, I couldn't tell you what they look like. I couldn't either. That's. I think it's brilliant the way they can cast goons like that, though, mm. where you definitely know the leader, the second in command you recognise, <laughs> and the rest of them could be anyone. <laughs> uh, Arnie says. Clever girl. Before Jurassic Park made mm, it a thing. Weird. Uh, so we get Richter. Uh, Michael Ironside is Richter. Um, uh, as a kid, so it's weird. Like, as a kid, I remember thinking Richter was super uncool. Like as a villain, like I just, I never, you know, like some of it, like Alan Rickman, like you'd seen Die Hard, you're like Alan Rickman, cool villain, or if not cool. Like tough, yeah. You, you expect the villain to be tough, mm. especially like you know he's going to 
fight Arnie at the end. You want someone a bit, I guess, more physically imposing than Michael Ironside. Yeah. Like, you know, even people who are, like, do something, like, really, like, super psycho, like Gary Boosie and Lethal Weapon, like mm. Mr. Joshua. Like, there's something about him. Michael Ironside, I don't think he's helped by the fact that he is also the most ineffectual villain I've ever seen on screen in terms of, like, having to take on Arnie. He literally spends the entire movie trying and failing to kill Quaid and then standing there as Quaid escapes off into the distance looking livid. Yeah, they're doing it on purpose, though. I feel like that's a, an aspect of black comedy because the moment after we're introduced to him, his second in command is mocking him because his missus has been boning Quaid. <laughs> so he's never... You realise immediately this guy isn't quite in, in charge like he thinks he is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we get our first really, really extreme bit of violence. How did uh, how did uh, little teenage Tilly deal with uh, using the human body as a, a shield on the escalator? Well, I wasn't particularly bothered by it. I'll be honest; it didn't it didn't affect me all that much. Whereas that became the big controversy, mm -hmm. you know, reading the newspapers and magazines at the time that that the civilian casualties not really mattering this film. I'd never really made a, a, a disc It was a disconnect to me between the characters and, and bystanders. It was just people being killed. And that's what action movies did. But yeah, the MPAA had real problems with this mm -hmm. um, on the commentary. <laughs> Paul and Arnold very much enjoy it. Uh, Ar Ar Arnold chucks the body and he's on the contrary says, what else are you going to do under the circumstances? <laughs> and Verhoeven says, uh, might be controversial to some, but that's just a piece of meat to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, then, and then, sorry, Arnie says, as, as, he, as he steps on the body going over it, Arnie laughs and then goes, no regard for human life, and then laughs some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because Verhoeven puts a little squelch sound effect over the bit where Richter stands on his own goon as he's stepping over it. There's a <laughs> sound because he's all bloody. And uh, yeah. Did you Verhoeven. guys have a problem with it? I mean, obviously, it's it's morally reprehensible, but it's part of the fun, I thought. I think once one thing for me in this film is there's a lot of shooting. And so because there's so, it doesn't build to that. It's just when everyone starts shooting, everyone's shooting at the same time. So it's just a lot of noise. And it, because there's no like dramatic build with that, it just washes over me. So I was conscious of an escalator corpse, but I was like, in all this noise, it just it got, it got drowned out, literally drowned out. Mm. I mean, that is uh, the through line for me is that is the the Ed two hundred nine Mister Kenny scene from RoboCop in this movie. Mm. It's not quite as bad. I find, you see, I find that much more frightening than the RoboCop one. That genuinely, yeah. I find that hard to watch. Whereas this, it's just a random. Mm. Yeah. That's a bloke who's begging for his life, basically. And this is yeah. in a world... Well, I mean, Robocop's a good... Yeah, it's not maybe not the right example because this is a world that isn't quite ours and so you would be a little bit detached from people, maybe. Yeah. God, that Ed 209 scene. It's one of the scariest things I ever watched as a kid. Mm. Uh, this was X-rated, though, initially, before they did all the MPA's cuts uh, to it, just like Robocop. So, Quaid escapes, and uh, not for the last time, Richter stands there, looking livid as he does. Uh, and then, like you say, there's a bit about porking his old lady. And uh, then we get Cohagen's appearance on the video screen. And Richter clearly doesn't know exactly what's going on. He's trying to neutralize the traitor, yada, yada, yada. But Quaid escapes, gets the suitcase from a guy who looks like a roadie who's in it for like two seconds, uh, has an argument with an old woman who tries to steal the suitcase. <laughs> Apparently there was some kind of action sequence there that Gary Goldman had to rewrite, which is why that gag sort of sticks out as just a bit weird. 
and awkward. Like they, for time reasons, they had to sub it down. So they inserted that old woman, uh, older woman, as a as a little joke scene there, which he references. So Quaid doesn't pay for his Johnny Cab, and the Johnny Cab tries to kill him. <laughs> Is it malfunctioning or is that what... Is it made of fucking dynamite? (laughs) Is it not a safety, like a product safety issue that if your self-driving car hits a wall at a few miles an hour, the fucking thing goes up like it's doused in explosives? (laughs) Are they allowed to murder passengers who go, I'm not And also he's going, I can't remember, he's like, just go, just go. And he's going, where do you want to go? He's like, just say a fucking street. Like say (laughs) any street that you know and it will go there. How many streets does he know? Oh, I know. I don't know. On Mars. Well, just say the high street. He doesn't want to go to Mars in the Johnny Cab. He needs to get a space shuttle. Sit town centre, please, quick as you can. <laughs> oh, so we meet Hauser on the video screen, and this wow, mind blowing as a kid to find out that Quaid Arnie isn't him. He's not him. He's Hauser. Oh, I think you're being generous. I think, which is understandable because you have a lot of love for it, but. And, you know, I do have a lot of love for Arnie, but I think in the hands of perhaps a more high-minded <laughs> actor, mm-hmm. you would have seen the difference in personality. You would have had a bit more to play with, do you not think? Like, I love it for what it is. It isn't the film it started off being, and it isn't this very cerebral, high-minded thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if it was that, and you've got some actor being like, oh, I'm Richard Dreyfus, and I'm the complete opposite of the man you've just seen... The impact would be lost, and I wouldn't have been watching it at eleven years old, and I wouldn't have enjoyed it at eleven years old because that's not what I wanted. So, and I will. What you didn't like Richard Dreyfus films? I fucking love Richard Dreyfus. I know exactly. Right, exactly. Remember when you got him confused with Richard Gere? Though, do you like Richard Gere? No. I do think they may be. I feel like the line "Howdy, stranger" was written before they cast Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, because that doesn't trip off his tongue like it does an American person. Uh, yeah, I thought that was in there just to, because I just to immediately make you go, "Well, Houses is a dick." Just anyone who goes, yeah. "Howdy, stranger," I'd be like, oh, "I don't know." If Patrick Swayze said that, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so. Rob Button's wonderful work pulling that thing out of his nose. It reminds me. Bonkers. My my head could fit in his nostril at that point. Yeah. It's it's the thing I was saying about not making things micro. Mm. (laughs) Why is it the size of a light bulb? But maybe it went up there small and then expanded when it was in there. Because how did it get in that size? Same way? But it's it's the prosthetic head that really, like Arnie, as we've seen before, he has the perfect face to make a prosthetic head out of, and it still sort of feels like Arnie. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. It's quite, yeah. it's quite angular, and you feel, yeah, you feel like he could be made of metal. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, I think that is the best prosthetic, though. I think that's the one that's held up best. Probably, yeah. It's probably because it's all scrunched up as well, so you don't need to you don't need to see the eyes mm-hmm. as much as the later ones. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. Reminds me that that tracking device and this whole sequence reminds me of the Matrix and when they rip the tracking device out of Neo. And that even down to the fact that it's got this red light that eventually goes out when it's pulled out. I'm like, okay. And of course, this is literally the end of an era because Terminator Two is the next year. So this is when the moment that prosthetics end mm-hmm. in in these big movies and it becomes computer generated. So I, I love that film for this. Yeah, and we get a very little Simpson. A little soupçon of the hologram. That's yes. The hologram watch, um, which is great. And I think it's placing and the length of time it happens for is perfect. Yeah, me too. Because you forget. Yeah. It's like you mm. just have no memory of it. And yeah. like, you're like, mm. whoa, I wonder when that's going to come out. It's totally justified because he's got this box of tricks. He knows nothing about it. So in terms of your exposition, you're totally allowed for him to go, oh, what's this? What's this? And yeah. then 
just be mature, leave it and bring it back later. Really good. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Get your ass to Mars. So we're going to Mars. Crossfade from the rap blood on the screen to the red skies of Mars. So um, I was listening to the Spaceport announcement this time. Uh, how do you feel about this, Victoria? Uh, air is limited. No smoking is permitted anywhere <laughs> in the colony. I would, I because I I like Mars. I think I'd like to go to Mars. It looks just the right sort of level of dive bar sky, <laughs> scummy for me to enjoy. But an entire yeah. planet, yeah. you cannot smoke on. But, but that's quite isn't that's one of those things where they've seen in the future because that would have probably seemed quite shocking then. Whereas now it would be quite normal to have. Yeah, if you live under the sea or on Mars, sure. But like mm. you know. I'd, I'd have I'd have I'd have lit one, then put my spacesuit on, <laughs> walked outside, and just had it in the spacesuit, circulating. <laughs> so uh, we get a full introduction on the dangers of Mars uh, here. Oh, sorry, nearly forgot the iconic two weeks scene. Pris- Priscilla Allen, mm, Priscilla give it, give her some credit. Why does no one help her? Like, are we? I think is there the breadcrumbs? No. Yeah, and everyone's just like, no, get back, I get go, back. I ain't going anywhere near that shit. <laughs> yeah. If you saw someone doing that, yeah. would you? Would you be over no there? one is like, oh god, are you all right? Of course not. <laughs> She's sort of flapping her arms. And, Everyone's just watching. <laughs> it's brilliant, but you wouldn't help. You just stand no, and watch. I'd get at this point in time, I would get my phone out and film it. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. brilliant. They missed a trick there with all their future tech. Yeah, uh, but we blow out the dome. And you see what happens. Mars is dangerous. <laughs> so just remember the bit. They blow out the door and he's like, close the doors, close the doors. Why have you got to press a button? Like, why is there not a system? It goes, oh shit, the door's open. <laughs> Let's close the door. Yeah. Uh, but um, I just really, there's a little weird bit, little touches like this that I love where the guy, the guard has got leather gloves on and that's what prevents him from gripping onto the thing and he gets sucked out. I have a weird thing. It's like the start of Cliffhanger. Sylvester Sloan <gasps> can't hold on oh, to her yeah. because of his gloves. Yeah. Dr. No, at the end of Dr. No, can't climb out of the pool because of his weird metal hands. So, yeah, I think it's... Glove vanity. Uh, it's something about that. Something about that upsets me. So, uh, we meet Cohagan. We've been drip fed a lot of information about Tribidium, about the war on mm-hmm. Mars, but it's great to finally meet Cohagan because Ronnie Cox is brilliant and his introduction in front of Victory goes, You know, I love it up here on Mars, you know, when one day if uh, the rebels win, it might all end. And you're fucking making it happen! <laughs> He's so good. Uh, is he? Is he playing his character from RoboCop? He's better than he is in RoboCop because he's literally. Uh, he's basically RoboCop's. Uh, you know, uh, Dick uh, dialed up to like fifteen from right. ten. Yeah, yeah. Because he has no rules. He's like the master of Mars. Mm. So, uh, question, uh, which we'll get onto when we discuss whether it's a dream or not. Why, if it's a dream, this is one of the few scenes that doesn't have Arnie. Mm. So it's like, why is this scene there? Why is Arnie dreaming uh, about plot points that would help him because, in his dream? Because in your dreams, you aren't always in every scene. That's true. You can dream about things that you aren't involved with, Alex. And, and it's just convenient, though, that he's dreaming useful information about <laughs> Cohagen's sure. plan. He's dreaming a story, though, isn't he? Yeah, okay. I yeah. mean, I, I dream stories. Do you? Yes. You're like a dream factory. <laughs> just from... Write those babies down. That's how you weave your magic. <laughs> uh, 
It's weird now. <laughs> so, uh, Mars. It did sound like you were showing off, actually. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I just, it just came to me in a dream. Yeah, I know, I know. I know four sequels, right? What? I mean, but it just came to me in a dream. It's porn. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the Mars Hilton is where we're heading now. Mars has a Hilton. Um, so, thumbprint scan, more future tech. Uh, there was a line here that got cut because Verhoeven didn't want to go too big on the wisecracks. And there was a line where Arnie uh, is checking in as Brubaker is his identity. And the clerk goes, welcome back, Mr. Brubaker. What do you think of our new spaceport? And the joke was going to be, I was blown away. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was right to go. <laughs> so uh, we go down to Venusville, uh, which is where a lot of the mutants on Mars live. Uh, we find out that Cohagen is responsible for the mutations, cheap domes, no way to clean out the rays. And then we're into the last resort. Worst well, part the- ever. Just before that, you, the little girl um, comes up to him mm. and um, says she bet she can guess her birthday. And so that's where the Total Recall 2 Minority Report stuff comes in because she's clairvoyant and that was a plot point they were going to use in Total Recall Total Recall 2. The idea would be that Quaid would become head of a company that can see into the future and protect citizens by eliminating criminals before they commit crime using these clairvoyant mutants. And that's where Minority Report came in. Just a little aside. Yeah. She does walk up to Arnie and goes, um, I can guess your birthday. And Arnie's like, oh, he's like, uh, what is it? <laughs> and she's like, you're a Taurus. Not a fucking birthday. True. She's immediately reduced her, yeah. her odds. It's a big margin, isn't it? One in 365 to <laughs> one in 12. And he still gives her some money. I'm like, just say I can guess your star sign. That's yeah. still impressive. <laughs> Don't lie. It's just, I mean, she's a child. She should know better. Uh, you know, she hasn't been brought up very well. So we're at the last resort. Never has a strip club had some, such bright lighting. Oh, my God, that's in my nose. <laughs> Last resort, worst bar ever, far too bright. Wants, I hate a bright pub. Who wants to go into a strip bar and you see, can see everything? everything? I want to see everything. <laughs> <laughs> my dreams are bright. <laughs> if there's more than two breasts on each woman, I want to see everything. <laughs> What would you do with a third? I get it. And it made me laugh. It made me laugh the first time and again. And it's like, whatever. But I don't, I just, it just, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's not like she grew it intentionally. It's part of the, that's true. She's a mutation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, guess. what would you do with a third? What would you do with a third? Same as you do with the other two. <laughs> <laughs> triplets. Okay. Triplets. Fine. Okay. Right. Okay. In fact, you found a function for that. There you go. There you yeah. Go. Rinse the joy out of that. <laughs> I don't know, you made it sexy. <laughs> right, well, nonetheless, uh, she's there. Uh, our old friend Lycia Naff from Lethal Weapon, where she plays the sex worker Dixie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In that. So um, I do have an interesting uh, little story uh, about uh, the, the the breasts, uh, the triple breasts. So uh, uh, this is an interview from just last year from Verhoeven, uh, H1 Your Whole Paul Verhoeven uh, says it was uh, Rob Bottin who made the three-breast prosthetic and it wasn't what Verhoeven wanted. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, Verhoeven said that, uh, I know that some women had, let's say, not two nipples, but they have four nipples, like a dog, whatever. That's what they have. They exist. Basically, I've seen the medical photos when I was at university and I knew that. I wanted four nipples 
and breasts with big breasts and smaller breasts underneath. And Rob Bolton, he said, I think I feel that's too realistic for the film and that three breasts would be more saying in keeping with the style. And he does say... <laughs> it's like a breast shelf. <laughs> like a wave of Like of others, breasts. yeah. Aww. Well, that's, it. that's what he's basically mm. talking about, you know. Dog others. Yeah. <laughs> Breasts with then lower breasts underneath, uh, very sort of realistic looking as opposed to... All I can say is well done, Rob Boutin. Uh, <laughs> and indeed, that is what Paul Verhoeven says at the end of that monologue. He goes, he was right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we meet Melina. Uh, she thinks Hauser didn't really love her, so his game's up. Uh, hence why Cohegan put Operation Turnhauser into Quaid into action because he was rumbled by Melina as Hauser. So we learn why... He's gone to Earth and they've had to wipe his brain and Houses agreed to all this because he was rumbled. Uh, we meet Tony. Love Tony. Uh, he gets angry. It's uh, Hank from Breaking Bad. Who knew? Is it? Yeah. I didn't check No, that. it's not. Yeah, it's what? Dean Norris. It's Dean Norris. Madness. That is madness. Oh Who knew? You can't tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, Melina asks her co-worker Thumbelina. Uh, that is the character's name to take care of him for her. So, Quaid's first meeting with Melina doesn't go well. It goes for a lie down in his hotel room. <laughs> That's literally what he does. Take me back to the hotel. I'm <laughs> so fucking stressed. <laughs> Cut to him lying on a bed, sort of having a little think. It's like, this is the boring part of the dream. Uh, then we get the Dr. Edgemar scene. This scene was freaking amazing uh, when I first watched it. And it still is, uh, just because... At this point, especially as a kid, your perception of what this movie is is blown the fuck apart. Yeah. Like you were suddenly facing a character who's going, you were still strapped into the chair at recall. I've been implanted. All of this happens. And then Sharon Stone turns up and everything. And she's like, wait, I'm here too, darling. And <laughs> can't do her. And then a bead of sweat runs down the doctor's face. That is enough for Arnie. He attaches a lot to that one bead of sweat because he is like, bang, kills him dead. And I don't know that I think that's... There's different ways of looking at this. Like, the assumption that I think we're meant to assume that, wow, so because he's sweating, he's really there Mm -hmm. and he's nervous because he could die Mm -hmm. and that's why he's sweating. Yes. Is there a way of looking at it whereby... Arnie doesn't really care at this point because he thinks maybe this is a dream and maybe this doctor is here telling me to wake up from recall, but I don't want to because I love this freaking dream so much. I love being a spy. Yeah, I think the other way of reading it is he's invented the the drop of sweat in his dream because he doesn't want to leave the dream. Mm. Oh, That works as well. Yeah. Honestly, I really thought long and hard watching the film this time and I, I really think every scene can be read both ways I think because they were you know it was so intentional all the way through I think they've brilliantly done it mm. I think they they walked the line so cleverly yeah that's very true um, and when we get to the end oof, uh, which isn't too far away now uh, great spit where Arnie spits out that pill on the dead doctor <laughs> solid spit but amazing how, you know they take the red pill from the, the Matrix use yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit like oh yeah, oh, I know what you I mean. I wish the waitress hadn't done it that closely to this. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Because mm. the Wachowskis, I had to look around and they do not credit this sequence with inspiring them for the red and blue pill, despite the fact that the colours of the pill are the same. Mm. Naughty. Mm. 
Uh, great to see Sharon Stone kicking some ass. Beats the shit out of him because he made her come to a planet she hates. <laughs> uh, which... Yeah, and, and Verhoeven. Uh, Vic Armstrong did a lot of the stunt choreography and fight choreography in this, um, who we'll talk about soon because he was um, did all the Indiana Jones movies. But yeah, their big thing was we don't want to, to do the traditional cat fight. There'll be yeah. no pulling of hair in this scene. This is going to be two women kicking the crap out of each other. Mm. And it is brilliant. It's great. And how many times does she kick Arnie in the balls in this film? I think it's three <laughs> times he gets smacked in the balls. Where else are you going to hit him to have any sort of effect? <laughs> <laughs> two, he scores, he, Verhoeven says it's not a cat fight. It's two warriors using martial arts. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. He also talks about that look that Sharon Stone gives where she sees that Quaid has got the uh, upper hand on her and she's reaching for the weapon out of her slacks and uh, and he says the way her face changes uh, in that scene from like fury to sweetness I can give you the line from he says from diabolical to charming diabolical to charming <laughs> that's part of the reason he wanted her for basic instinct mm. That and to take revenge on her not getting a kiss off earlier in this <laughs> the perv alright uh, now she gets killed. Consider this a divorce. Great line. This is where you've got to give full credit to Michael Ironside. Because for me, at this point, Michael Ironside has been giving 110 fucking percent <laughs> as Richter. It's like, uh, there can be no more in the tank. It's almost like Paul Verhoeven is going, so now your wife has died? And he's like, sorry, what? <laughs> I've got to give more. He's like, do you not read the scripts? I skimmed it. Uh, you've got to be even angrier. And he pulls it out of the bag. He yep. somehow manages to look even more livid than he was before. I think it's a. Sh- I love it, but wouldn't it have been good if he looked more like broken by that? Like, and then, and then angry. I don't know. You know, there can be two I think, things. I, doesn't he look broken he when he when broken. he when he bends over her body? Yeah. I feel like that's the f- that's the first moment you actually feel some sympathy for him because you realise, oh, he really did love this. I woman. Don't know. I felt sympathy for him earlier because I was reading too, maybe too much into his character, but he is a man who's trying to do his best. And he keeps getting told off like a child. He mm. keeps getting chided by Cohagen, and he just wants to be good. And and then he's, he gets told really explicitly, "You're not even you're not even in this plan, you fucking moron," kind of thing. And he is he's a yes man. He's a company man, mm. and he wants to be liked by his boss, and he can't get it right. And I did feel sorry for him. And in the of back that. of his head, the whole time he knows that Mister Mister Universe has been boning his wife. <laughs> like that's really got to affect you psychologically after a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he does go more unhinged now because he decides to just kill them all in Venusville in the last resort. He kills uh, uh, Mary, the three-breasted prostitute. Uh, sex worker. Sex worker, thank you. The three-breasting is fine. <laughs> um, uh, then Thumbelina kills Helm by stabbing him in the crotch, I believe. And Quaid escapes uh, with Benny, the cab driver, uh, to see Quato. And Cohagen seals off Venusville, which gives us our ticking clock for the final part as the mutants there, in fact, everyone there, is gradually going to run out of air. So we meet Quato, brilliant creation. Oh, I love this so much. Why? The voice. Mm. I don't know. Like, the, the creature effects are amazing, but the fact that it's a small person and he's in uh, George's stomach, so it's like a baby... But the eyes are like milky and blown, but he's got these little teeth. Like it's all so terrifying. It looks like have you seen those documentaries about like when you find a secret twin inside your womb? It's oh, like eating. Vicky, yeah, don't, but it don't, does. Don't. And sometimes they've got hair and teeth and nails and they were like a full thing. Mm. But they, it gave me flashbacks to society. 
But like, there's, yeah. there's something gooey but about the, that. The vo- what does it like? You you must be able to do the voice. The voice is just unreal. Open your mind. Oh yeah. Quay. Open your mind. And Amazing. And apparently, <laughs> it's, it's that actor. Mind. Apparently, it's that actor. Yeah, it's the yeah. George actor, it's, which is yeah, great. He's called Marshall Bell, and it's it's just really <laughs> my, scary. My missus got home from work as that scene came on, and she <laughs> walked in the room, and she's like, "What the hell are you watching? <laughs> is this I, another... can, I cannot explain what that is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> another of your dreams, is it? <laughs> Write them down, darling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more clairvoyance here as well, though, isn't it? That, yep. that, that, that they were seeding that for this What's potential sequel. What's the difference sequel? between a clairvoyant and a psychic? Um, is this a joke? Is this a joke? About 20 quid. <laughs> That'll do. Good you are good, actually. So I'll be taking the piss. <laughs> and... Uh, Quato's last words because Cohagen's men turn up because Benny the bastard led them there. He's like, start the reactor, free Mars. Which is good because it's actually quite practical advice mm. rather than for open your mind. Which is great. It's the good bit that I think that I hadn't picked up on before here is that Quato say, explains to him that it doesn't matter who he was, it's his actions now that will define who I mean, he is. I find it fascinating because to me, Nothing wrong with the film and saying that, and you you need that at that point because he's a man who doesn't know who he is. But to me, it's, it's just profoundly not. It didn't. It's not true because I think it's just a particular. Like I'm scared to death of losing my memories because I think action defines you as a person, but your memories define your actions. Because you look back and you're like, okay, I did this, and then this happened, so now I'll do this. Mm. You're not just a person reacting in the moment, completely free of all the things you've done and seen before. And when you are. And also, how would you know who you are? Like, how would you know if you're good or bad if you've got no touch points in your history? Like, it terrifies me. So you won't turn the reactor on? I'm not sure I understand. You imagine me going, just one second, because I'm fascinated by your take on it. Why are you talking so fast? Actually, he's about to put a bullet in me. I just want to die knowing you're going to turn it on. Do all women talk this much? <laughs> like um, I, I said that about this about Cyrus last last week when we were doing the Warriors though. This is I think Quato is an example of a character that's on screen for two minutes and yet I'm absolutely devastated when he gets yeah, killed. Me it too. is really heartbreaking. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It is. Um, so uh, we find out uh, big moment. Uh, this is the one of the moments that Gary Goldman added. This is uh, he goes. The most important contribution I made to this script was that. I added in the Hauser and Cohagen moment where Hauser turns to Quaid and goes, uh, you know, I'm a dick, basically. <laughs> <laughs> But he basically says that and he goes, I want, I want my brain back. Uh, he doesn't, sorry, because Phil Stark's lying. <laughs> Bloody Phil Stark. I want my brain back. He's, he's implied that in your memory. Uh, and this is, I, I think it's really important because it sort of, it ties together everything that went before. And the idea of not having this here is puzzling because you do want to, no, I guess if this didn't exist, the the way you'd feel about it is that, okay, so, Hauser was a good guy Mm -hmm. and he did genuinely give up his own mind to Quaid with no intention of getting it back to free the rebels, which changes everything and doesn't work for me anyway. Um, Anyway, after uh, this brief stop, Cohagen becomes properly villainous by not turning on the air back in Venusville, Mm -hmm. despite Quaid's pleas uh, with the classic line, Cohagen, you've got what you want, give these people air. And then an even better moment, it is his own officer 
appears on a video monitor to tell him that the inhabitants of Venusville won't last an hour, to which Cohagen dispenses possibly one of the greatest F-bombs in cinema history, where he goes, fuck him. It's in my notes as well. The delivery <laughs> of that fuck him is perfect. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> fuck him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to be a proper cunt to be able to do yeah, that yeah but not to be like this is my moment to be like fuck them and the yeah. camera but it's just like oh fuck it fuck them uh, I think I've got it actually I think I'm going to start using that a lot more <laughs> fuck them uh, and uh, we are now reminded that this this is an Arnie movie so when they strap Arnie <laughs> into a seat uh, with metal clamps down and he's trapped there and they've got to erase his mind and fix Melina Arnie does not need a plan to no. escape. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need to know anything from earlier in the film. He doesn't need to have learned anything or hidden away a tool. Hauser gave him nothing for this moment. He's just freaking Arnie and he just goes, gonna hulk out I'm just going to get out. He's strong. <laughs> the, 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 the thing that he, he, he rams into someone's neck, mm. uh, that thing isn't even pointy. That's round at the end. <laughs> So I mean that's that's some strength to get that through skin. Yeah, what is what is it up with those scientists anyway? Now, if I was a scientist and I just watched Arnie break out of a chair and plunge a metal round-headed spike through through like my mate, I'd I'd, I'd go. Oh, my job description to help here. I'm a scientist. I'll probably leave. Mm, uh, and also, how can a spike be roundheaded? Isn't that a contradiction? <laughs> <laughs> um, they're all piling in these scientists. They're like, I want a bit of that. Yeah, come on. True. Like, no scientist you've ever met who runs towards a machine like Arnie goes, come on then, mate. Verhoeven <laughs> said this is the scene as well. They had to cut the most for the MPAA. This was a lot worse right. initially. I bet they did. And they get free and then Melina pretends to be brainwashed for a couple of seconds. It's not the time, love. <laughs> it's not the time for gags. I, I like that you've got a sense of humour, but not right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, she does, doesn't she? Oh, dear. Wow. That's true. You, you are, you're right. She just doesn't know when to keep her fucking mouth <laughs> So this is, this is the moment as well where um, Cahagan realises he can't keep Hauser slash Quaid alive any, any longer. He gives the orders to kill. He kicks over a fish tank. <laughs> he watches the fish die. It's all a bit dramatic. And, and this is interesting on the, on the commentary. Um, Verhoeven says Cahagan considers Hauser a brother or maybe more. Ooh. That's something we talked yeah. about. That's something Verhoeven thinks that maybe. And actually, when you watch the film through that prism, it does look like he loves. That's Hazard. true. Doesn't mm. he say, "Oh, you're my, you were my best friend" or something like that? And it seems a bit like um, mm. a plaintive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And when he says about fixing Melina, he's going to make her subservient or obedient or something. As no, in, not going to. Melina's going to become your babe, Hauser's babe. <laughs> yeah, but he says something. I think the idea of him fixing her might mean... Oh, you're... yeah, she's going to be fixed, respectful, pliant and appreciative the way a woman should be. Mm -hmm. There you go. God, I forgot. I didn't even highlight that line. That is a terrific line. <laughs> and it also suggests that, as in when you walk in on uh, me and Hauser, haven't yes. it? <laughs> you're not going to mind. It's going to shrug. Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, and obviously the fish thing is obviously, I, you know, I never noticed it before, but it's a little foreshadowing of the way he is going to meet oh, his yeah. fate. Oh, that's clever. He can't breathe. That's clever. And he watches them. Oh, he watches them. That's good. Gasping for breath. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of uh, the only other line that comes close for me in terms of uh, the... Fuck him. I know what you're going to say. Is uh, when uh, Cohagen finally goes, says to Richter, yeah, you can kill. You can kill Quaid. And he goes, about 
goddamn time. <laughs> Can't do that one. Is that the line you thought? No, it's when Cohagen says to Arnie, you're a stupid dream. <laughs> I just think that's such a cutting thing to say, but yeah, you're right. It's like a broken hearted thing to say. Yeah. This is a stupid dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we're on the final run now. Benny gets killed uh, with a drill. That death really, for some reason, got to me as a kid. I, that bit where he can't see where the drill's coming from. Benny, screw you. Um, even if it's a drill, not a screw, but never mind, you know, it's late in the day. <laughs> and obviously, if you'd forgotten about the hologram watch, which as a kid I had, the amazing hologram sequence, which is just that bit where, uh, considering Hauser was a bad dude, this is an awesome piece of tech to give Quaid. Like, I, I don't know, like, because he would not survive if Hauser hadn't have given the, him this. So the fact that he wants his body back is kind of like, well, don't give him the fucking hologram watch then, idiot. Um, I found another great quote from Arnie talking to Starlog magazine about uh, this on set and what he was doing in the scene. And this sounds like his commentary. Like, Arnie's way of describing what's happening in a scene is this. I get ambushed in the middle of this whole thing. I fall down. The soldiers realise they didn't hurt me. And to really rub it in, I laugh at them to belittle them. <laughs> and he really does. You think this is the real great? Let's, let's hear him com- commentating over that scene. It was a great surprise to him that this huge machine can even break. Oh, this is a great scene where he uses the hologram. <laughs> Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah. Coming from behind casually, turning off the hologram, and then just nailing them. <laughs> Stating the beating, obvious. Yep. Um, and we finally see Quaid and Rick to go one on one, which is a really shocking death. Uh, I mean, what did you think of uh, the Rick to fight? Other than obviously, it's the most one sided fist yeah. fight in Arnie's history. Yeah, you need. I think you needed to do something to even it up. Either, either you know, Rick to had to have some kind of weapon, or Arnie had to be injured. But mm. as it is, one on one, not fair. Um, again, had to be apparently had to be seriously cut for the MPAA. I'm wondering what they cut. <laughs> what? The hell did they? What else is there? He loses I, I his fucking arms. He saw more of the arms coming apart or something. But yeah, that's what Verhoeven claimed. Uh, that scene, I was still to this day, I'm very wary of lifts because of that. It's the sheer mm. thing between the doors and the, the upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, it scares the shit. I'm very out wary of, of Michael Einside. <laughs> yeah, see you at the party, Richter. Toss the arms after him. <laughs> So Rick to go and Cohagen to go and uh, not a moment too soon because he's used up all his zingers and is reduced to, I'll blow this place and be home in time for cornflakes. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> what, what an awful line. Is it breakfast? <laughs> it looks like at the same time all the time here. Do you eat cornflakes? <laughs> Do you know what time it is when you're eating cornflakes? Or is that just your snack of choice after blowing up a reactor? So... um yeah, it all gets a little, ever so slightly a bit sort of rushed here. Suddenly yeah. there's a bomb that he's got and then Arnie chucks it down a vent. And clearly at the end of that vent is a screen that shatters. It's all a bit... Yeah, but much like this podcast, it feels like it's been going on a long time we and you're kind of ready time. to just get to the end. All right, then. The reactor goes on in time to save Quaid and Melina, but not Cohagen. Do you want to know... Uh, we've just got time. Uh, <laughs> do you want to know how they uh, did those heads? They're inflatable heads. I didn't wait for your answer. They're inflatable <laughs> Good, heads. Let's get to the end. Yeah. They're inflatable heads that they filled up with air to make the eyes pop and the tongue come out and then release the air all over oh, them. Makes sense. Pretty cool. Practical effects, man. They look like plasticine to me. It looks a bit morph-like. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. And then Melina and Quay, despite their faces stretching and their eyes pretty much popping out of their skull, it returns to normal very yeah, quickly because of air. And um, then there he says the uh, immortal line, I just had a terrible thought. What if this is a dream? And she says, then kiss me quick before you wake up. <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> it works for the end. What's happening in the sky? The sky has gone blue. It's gone blue. Blue skies on Mars. Haven't seen that before. Right. So this is one of the big things about it must be a dream. A lot of people in the ongoing debate as to whether it is a dream or not. Now, like you say, it's meant to be read both ways. That is what Verhoeven and Gary Goldman set out to do. It was both of them working together that created this question mark over it. But the blue skies thing seems to be the best evidence for the fact it is all a dream because you hear it mentioned at Total Recall, at Recall, sorry, at the start when he's getting his memory and the guy goes, that's a new one, blue sky on Mars. And the fact that it ends up with a blue sky Mars implies that Recall imprinted it into Quaid's memory because there is no way for them to know that this alien reactor exists or that it will cause blue skies on Mars if it turns on. Mm-hmm. So that is the strongest argument for it being a dream. Thoughts? Mm. Well, Verhoeven has the film Fade to White now as well, which he he thinks yeah. makes it different from normal films. And so in his mind, it makes it more dreamlike. The music... Jerry Goldsmith has sort of had a, a a dream motif playing throughout the film. He brings that back in at this moment. Yeah, there's also another little bit where the, the dream thing where there's a recall sting that happens when Arnie visits recall and there's a little bit of where Dr. Edgemar turns up and then in the at the very end of the credits, just before the final fanfare, you hear it again as if to say, thank you for watching <laughs> this dream, time to wake up. <laughs> I Well, I always thought it was real every time I've watched it. And I think that's because I wanted to believe it was real. Yeah. And that's because they've cast Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Verhoeven says, you being a superhero, Arnold, the audience hope and think it's real. That was me, definitely. I think if it had been a William Hurt movie or a Richard Dreyfuss movie, I think I would have been more into the dream thing. But because I yeah. want to believe it's real... You because to, cause you, you would have seen a weaker man get everything... He, yeah. Weaker, that's really mean, but like physically weaker or smaller or whatever, yeah. like get everything he wanted... And then it would be really bittersweet. But if it's yeah. Arnie, you, you're not seeing, you know, yeah. he could just, he could do those things. And I wouldn't want to feel like I've wasted the last two hours of my life on a, on one of his movies. Whereas <clears> with <throat> her and Dreyfus, it would have been, oh, this is interesting. This is like science fiction. So for me, I always thought it was real. And now uh, watching it this time, I think it's a dream. Because I think it's real because I'm still the 11 year old boy who will not accept that Arnie hasn't saved Mars. Sure. I think it's real, but I will let that idea sit with me for a while mm-hmm. and see. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll bring it up next week. I'm not sure. But will you turn the reactor on? <laughs> you look like one of them twins, man. <laughs> Have you got hair? Oh, <laughs> uh, any more for any more, or shall we do the bits? Do the bits. Do the bits. Do the bits. Yeah, do the bits. Yeah, do the bits. Yeah. Best scene, Chris. Two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> uh, it's still astonishing. It's, it's just. It's just. I can't believe my eyes when I'm watching it. It's so cool. <laughs> and uh, again, uh, that's Rob. Uh, Rob Botton because uh, Verhoeven initially wanted it to just be something that Arnold whipped off. And Rob Bottom was like, no, I got a better way of doing it. I'm going to split it into these little bits and do it like that. And it's going to be much more of an exciting reveal. I know. Although Arnie's head underneath the prosthetic head doesn't look as good as Don't the other one. Don't care. Don't care either. <laughs> Fine. Victoria. The, um, the sweating doctor. Because you believe him. 
as the doctor at that point I did in the film both mm. times and then when you realize what he's risked say say it's not he is you know he isn't the implant the cockiness to be like this is in your head let's leave take this pill knowing that you can get killed is it's really amazing like in terms of the the narrative of the story yeah do you know what i mean yeah 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 i do i do he's really rolled the dice that doctor yeah. by being there and he's really good at that yeah yeah Unless it's a dream, in which case it he matter. is fine because he's still in recall. It will have no effect on him. Yeah. Oh, but for you, Quaid, the walls will come crashing down around you. Cue a wall literally crashing down moments later. We forgot to mention that. The guys punched through it. So I've got three because it's total recall and God damn it, I won't pick one. Oh. It's the meeting with the doctor, Dr. Regimar, that you just picked, Victoria. It's two weeks. Okay, you didn't need to say either then. We've done them. Yep. <laughs> or... Let's do the third one. Uh, see you at the party, Richter. Okay, holding his arms. Ah, oh, it's the worst one. Every W. Michael Ironside is mine. I love the fact that despite a large portion of the script, him staring furiously as Quaid disappears, having escaped again, he really sells it. And also, you know, not since Bennett and Commando has there been a more mismatched fight that is still really good to watch. Your MVWV. Rob Bottin. Because the it is, it's already a pretty good film, even if the effects were shit, but they're not. They're amazing. So it elevates it and it honours the source material and all of that like in its weirdness. Um, and it still looks good. Chris? I'm glad you said Rob Bottin. It means I don't need to, even though I just have. Uh, so I'm going to go for Paul Verhoeven because the, the phrase balls to the wall gets bandied around sometimes. But I think it's a good description of the movie that Paul Verhoeven has made here where I don't think anyone else could have done this. In this with this violence, with the the hard sci-fi, it's just such a balls to the wall <laughs> movie and I'm not done with balls. What does balls to the wall mean? Oh, it means it's all in there. It's like fucking strapping, mate. This is going to be But where does it come from? Where did you put your balls against the wall and it and then it got it got to mean you, you just go you all up. When you don't have any friends to play football with as a kid. You have a wall and you kick the ball against it. <laughs> yeah, that's it true. It falls to the wall. That's true. <laughs> Is that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not testicles, right? I that's know why that. Chris uses it a lot. <laughs> Can you come back to me for the change? <laughs> yeah, sure. Did you do your change? No, Gloria? I forgot. Do it um, now. Do it now. No, oh, come wait. to me. I'm saying come to me. Go to Chris. Um, balls. <laughs> cut, cut to Chris. <laughs> My change is I want balls. Um, Kim Taylor Foster is going to guest on this show at some point. She's written a Matrix, but when we do the Matrix, her thing is balls for boobs. Every time you see boobs in a movie, she thinks you should see some balls as well. She'll talk about it when she gets on. It's a good, it's a good conversation. Mm. We get three breasts here. We don't get any mutant balls. Mm-hmm. I think we should get three balls or a double dick at some point Jesus. in this film to even think. <laughs> what? I thought as a feminist you'd be you'd be all for this. I mean, just one is enough. I don't know, like. Like a circular thing, maybe, like a never-ending dick. Two wrongs don't make a right, Chris, and three boobs don't make two dicks. (laughs) In my dreams, they do. (laughs) Write it down. Okay, that's interesting. So your literal change for this movie is that you'd like it to feature a scene with two dicks. Yes! If you're going to have three boobs, I think you've got to have two dicks. Or three balls. Right. Four balls. No one would notice. Okay. Okay. Victoria, any way of cleaning the show up towards the end? (laughs) When, (coughs) excuse me, sorry. I'm laughing, sorry. Uh, when the plot sort of all falls and coheres, and he's like, I've set this whole thing up. Who did you think did this for Quinn and did this for him and did whatever? So when he gets the woman's suit, I would like to see him get it and realise why he's he thinks he's not being set up. Do you know what I mean? Because did I miss something where he just he is the woman and he's the two weeks and whatever? Right. Where did he get that from? Who gave him that? 
The suit. It will have been yeah. in houses briefly. Yeah, but you don't see that. Like, I want some suggestion that that was going to happen. I, I, maybe I just missed it, but uh, you I was didn't like, miss it. It's never mentioned until the okay. two weeks scene. Well, but that's why it's me. a surprise. Yeah, but it's a, it's so handy for him at that point. Although it does go wrong, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, that's my change. Just say two dicks. A circular dick. <laughs> a never-ending one. Well, what do you we out of? I don't know. Just sort of goes round and round and round. Yeah, <laughs> cleaning itself. <laughs> A self-cleaning dick. <laughs> Excellent. Well, my change is two self-cleaning dicks. <laughs> Good. We're, we're out. That's it. That's done. Are we doing a quiz this week? I mean, yeah, let's do it quick. All right. We've got to. Okay. Um, memory quiz. This has all been about memory this week. Mm. So how much attention were both of you paying when oh, you were watching no. these films? Okay. How much do you remember? Cool. Okay. Uh, what is the name... Of the sex club on the fly that Quaid finds in his safety deposit box. The Last Resort. Yeah. I love that fly because it says The Last Resort on it. And just think, Clay, he's got a woman with, granted, just the two breasts. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's pink. And it's very clear what it is. Just in case there was any confusion, the two things it says down the front are sex, sex, <laughs> down both sides. <laughs> what newspaper can be purchased on Mars? Mars, Mars today. today. Alex got there first. Uh, what is the soft drink of choice on Mars? Pepsi. I mean, <laughs> Vicky. Um, when John Anderton is going through a shopping mall, what drink does that? Do they say he could use Guinness. right now? Oh fuck off! <laughs> uh, from which clothes shop does John get clothes, yeah. Agatha? <laughs> <laughs> that'll do. That'll do. Alex is one. <laughs> sure, we quiz. just kept going till Vicky got one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right then. Uh, so as you know, we are going to be doing indie movies very soon, but one more week to go of Spielberg before we do well. Spielberg specifically, Indiana Jones. Here is my clue for next week's movies. Ah, oh, the clue is this: you get everything, you win. Good day, sir. That's my clue. What? I want to do a shout out for Indiana Jones as well. Write to us, get involved because we're going to read them out at ClashPod or show at ClashPod.com. Tell us what your favourite Indiana Jones movie is and why. And or give us some Indiana Jones memories of watching the movies. Tell us some thoughts. Lovely stuff. Bet in touch about Indiana Jones. You don't like the clue, do you? I can tell. It's great. Is it? Yeah. Kindred spirits, see? Right then, please subscribe to us. Rate and review us on... If you have the time... uh, Well, if you have the time, leave a comment as well. Uh, Well, that's a review, really, isn't it? Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. We're back on Thursday with Minority Report. Until then, bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 